Okay, welcome to the Finding What Drives You podcast. I have an amazing guest today. One of my I so-called, I call him friend, George yeah. Culver. His resume is about two hours long, so <laughs> we'll discuss that throughout this podcast. We have some great memories to share, and I just want to give you the microphone, and I can listen to you talk for hours and hours. Love hanging out with you, and I'm, it's a pleasure to have you here and spend some quality time and concrete this podcast in the the stone of time and I, I i'm looking forward to this so thank you very much george culver mike's a pleasure being with you uh, i've known you for a long time uh had the opportunity to work with with uh, your son pitching and so uh now he's playing golf i understand so i really did a good job with him so. yes i know <laughs> i was telling about this last night i was just digging all the research i could on you and he's like dad that's george culver that's my pitching coach <laughs> and so he loves you uh we're gonna get started you know with covid hit things uh got put to a halt but yes we're gonna get back to pitching he's playing travel ball now and we have so much yeah with golf he could be playing golf with you too hopefully in the near future so yeah. i mean I, I gotta start off with like what's exciting in your life right now what's happening I, we haven't talked in a while well, the main thing right now is uh, is I'm still uh, working with kids doing pitching lessons. And I still have a summer team called the Bakersfield Dodgers. Shocker. Yeah, you know? so, <laughs> right. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, that, and I still play golf. Uh, anywhere from three to four days a week. I haven't played since yesterday. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so uh, I play the, uh, I don't play the yellow tees anymore. I play the... Uh, the front tees, which is called the grandpa tees. And I have another tee, which is called the great grandpa tees, which <laughs> yeah. is further up. Uh, it makes it much more enjoyable for me. And uh, if I had to play the white tees, uh, you should be playing the blue tees. But I should, if I was still playing the white tees, I probably wouldn't even enjoy golf at all. So, <laughs> well, I'm sure you still can uh, shoot under par. Well, I shoot my age a lot. I don't, I don't shoot under par. Every once in a while, I get under par. But for the most part, my goal is to shoot my age every day, which is uh, 60, 18. And, uh, some guys are 66, 67, I'm 60, 18. Uh, so uh, anyway, that my goal I, is to shoot my age every day. And, I understand uh, that. And uh, if I do that, I, I go home happy. And, uh, <laughs> if I go home, if I shoot over that from the great grandpa tees, that's a bad day. Man, that's what I love about you. You know, you have such a great story. You're a local legend. And like just my last guest, Larry Cook, not only Bakersfield, but Oildale. I, I know that you're yeah. from Oildale. Yeah. Two back-to-back -back North High legends. Yes, uh, little different stories, but amazing at that. But that's what I love about you, man. When you when you talk, you're, when I talk to you, you're so humble, and you always want to give back, and you give lessons still. Why do you still give lessons? What What are you trying to accomplish with that? I have an idea, but I want to hear it out of your. Well, mind. if I stayed home, my wife would find a bunch of stuff for me to do. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I like giving lessons because it gives me an opportunity to uh, deal with some of the. Uh, Young kids, uh, I deal with kids as young as seven all the way up to high school kids. I don't mess with college kids too much because then I interfere with what the college coaches are doing with them. But uh, the fun for me is not only I get to deal with the kids, but I get to deal with the parents. And I think it, it helps it helps the parents if I can give them some advice on how, how to deal with their kids. Uh, you know, you're, you know, for yourself as a parent of a pitcher, uh, you're biting your fingernails the entire game. Oh, my heart's like a phone book yeah. in a dryer. So every if time he's he just a position yes. player, you're talking to everybody else, and they say, hey, your son's hitting. Oh, okay, watch him hit, and then you go on talking. Right. If he's pitching, I mean, you're like, your hair's falling out. I mean, and so I try to explain to the uh, parents that when you have a young kid's a pitcher, you have to have a lot of patience. <laughs> right. And just go off the side somewhere and shut up and don't listen to anybody else. You go off the side and enjoy the game. I, I, it gets so bad. I go to some of these games, Mike, I'm going to tell you. It is so bad listening to people in the stands. Uh, it's a wonder that the kids don't get burnt out from just from what, what they're hearing in the stands. I mean, you can't do that to kids. you got to have them love the game, number one, Yeah, right? that's right. I mean, when I was playing Little League, and you probably were too, all I cared about after the game was do we get a Pepsi or a Coke? <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, we didn't, we didn't know who won the game. Right. We, 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 who won? Oh, wait a minute. Where's my Pepsi? Where's my Coke? And so uh, that's what I tried to install in the parents. Uh, I said years ago when I first started doing this, and I was – get involved with watching the game. I mean, I was around, you know, older baseball forever, professional baseball and so forth. But I'm going to these games and I'm saying, you know what, they should bar the parents from watching these games. Video the games, give them a disc, take it home, give the kid a disc, and they can go watch it at home on the TV because it's ridiculous what they say. The umpire this and the coach that. And 
I mean, come on, people. I uh, agree. I, I coach my youngest, my six-year-old. You don't remember Luke. Oh, yeah. He's going to be turning seven next next month. And I've coached uh, Mason, who's 10. But uh, the best coaches, they say, listen, parents, I need you to just stay back and let me coach the team. I'm the coach. And a lot of these players nowadays are getting private lessons. But once the game starts, practice starts, you got to leave the kids alone. You know, let them, let them be, be a part of the, the team. They're on, on that team for a reason. Well, it's not unusual to be at a game and the kids – at bad hitting and the dad's on hey 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 and the kid looking back and his dad in the stands come on they're really confused let the kid definitely. i mean the kid you know his kids trying to please all these people and i'll tell you it turns a lot of kids off right um, i actually i had a i played golf with with uh matt brassfield and his son mason brassfield he's a very up-and-coming baseball player right now he was one, one of, of my students top, he's one, one of the top pro- yeah he's only been with you pitching and i'm sure you've had a lot of great successful uh students that you've had you've been a part of well, again, that's that's part of the reason I do it is because my pleasure for me is going and seeing these kids develop and become. I mean, they're not all going to be major league players. Uh, some of them won't even remember being playing college. But uh, the fun for me is watching them develop. Mason Bradfield pitched a shutout against. Uh, I can't remember what team it was the other day, but I, I'm at the game. I'm so proud of him. I mean, yeah. he's got he's, he's a stud. He's doing strike after strike because he's he's had these tendency to be a little wild. And here was a game. He threw all strikes and he dominates. I mean, he's got such a great arm, 92, 93 miles an hour, sophomore in high school, Lefty. left-handed, six yes. foot three. Yes. Uh, he's going to get a lot of attention. <laughs> he throws in the 90s, right? Yeah. Yes. 92, 93. And uh, so he's oh, oh, you're always a terrific lo- athlete. You're always yeah. supporting local players, local everything. I want to dive into your career as a major league baseball player. The, I mean, the, the percentages of making it to the major leagues are very slim to none. And <laughs> yeah. you have an amazing career in the major leagues. Yeah, I know that's not what you want to be remembered by. It was something larger than that. But we have to talk about it and discuss it. So I said before we were going over the, your resume, you got drafted in 1963 to the Yankees. That's not true, though. No, it's not true because in those days, uh, you could sign with anybody you wanted. And so uh, Yankees were always my my team. I mean, that was uh, that was my uh, you know in those days the Yankees were always on TV. Right. You know, the Yankees in World Series, World Series, Mickey Mantle, uh, Yogi Berra, Whitey Ford, all these guys. And so that was that was a team, that was my dream team. Well, when I came out of high school, the Phillies offered me a thousand dollars, and Jerry Collis, the coach at Baseball College, got a hold of me and said. Uh, if you come to BC for two years, I'll get you $10,000. So my mom says, you're going to BC. Right. Well, I went to BC for two years, and guess what? I got 2500 But <laughs> But the two years I spent there was valuable in terms of I wasn't ready to go out and play pro baseball out of high school. I mean, I, I was raised without a dad. I was kind of a wild Indian. Uh, uh, That's why we get along on, so well. I my, think. My, yeah, my mom worked. Uh, <laughs> she worked to support us. We, You know, we had no money. And uh, I didn't even have a car till I was a senior in high school. So I walked to school from uh, Arvin out there by the airport, Arvin Street in Oildale, all the way to high school every day for three years, which I, to me was a blessing. I didn't realize that was a blessing because right. it makes your legs, helps your legs. And so uh, when I got a car, man, that was, wow, I got a car. I paid $25 for my first car. Wow. I got had a 1940 Mercury that had no first gear. You know, stick shifts, column shift. <laughs> and I, I didn't care, man. I didn't care what that was. A, I didn't have to walk anymore. But so when I come out of high school, I was offered that money. And I. And where did you play in high school? North High. North High, yeah. Yes, North exactly. High, the stars. And you were just pitcher only, or did you play multiple um, positions? I pitched mostly, but uh, whenever I didn't pitch, uh, I'd pinch hit. Um, were you a good hitter? Oh, yeah. Most pitchers oh, yeah. are good hit. hitters yeah, in high I, school. I could hit, yeah. Yes. I, could hit. Uh, I Actually, I hit good, but uh, when I pitched, I hit fourth, and then when I didn't pitch, I didn't play at all. So wow. that didn't make any sense. But my last high school game was at Sam Lynn Ballpark against a team from Fresno, Roosevelt High School. The pitcher was a guy by the name of Wade Blassingham. His record was 27-0 and 0, coming out of high school. He was the number one pitcher in America. And we played him at Sam Lynn 14 innings. He pitched 14 innings. I pitched 14 innings. We got to be four to two. After the game, the Braves uh, offered him a contract for $150,000. The Phillies offered me a contract for $1,000. And I'm going, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is something not right here. So uh, anyway, funny thing is, him and I end up playing on the same team in the major leagues together. And we had wow. about the same career, roughly about the same career. And uh, he was terrific. He, he was 28-0 in high school. And uh, 
that that was 27 no going in the game. He won that game it's 28 no. Wow. Funny story in the 10th inning, there's like scouts from every team there to watch him. They didn't know who I was. They could care less. In the 10th inning, the, his coach sends you back out for the 10th inning. And the, his dad come over and told the coach, he said, if my son hurts his arm, I'm killing you after the game. Right. Get him out of the game. And the kids know, Dad, I want to go in. I want to keep pitching. And so he ended up pitching 14 innings. Wow. I pitched 14 That's... innings. I have no idea how many pitches we threw. Yes. But if you did that now, you'd get fired. <laughs> you sure your, will. Your coach would get fired. So You throw over 100 pitches. That's, that's already uh, too uh, much I mean, nowadays. <laughs> uh, we, we probably threw we, we, we threw probably well over 200 pitches each in the game. <laughs> wow. So. Well, yeah. that maybe that's a hidden secret, you know, because later on in your career, you know, you had some amazing stats. Number one is a no-hitter in 1968. Yeah, you know, I'm sure you've told the story a thousand times, but you got to tell at least one more time. <laughs> well, it, it was definitely uh, a shock. I never pitched a no hitter in little league, high school, anywhere, never, in county league, never. And so, uh, we're playing the Phillies, and uh, I was having a good year, and so we're going to play the Phillies double header. So they told me you're going to pitch the second game. So I stayed back to the hotel. That's which is common in those days. You tend to catch a cab out about about game time of the first game. Because if you go out at 3 o'clock and the game will start till 6, I mean, you're sitting there for forever. Right. So I tried to eat. I had a kind of a messed up stomach, so I didn't eat much. And so I go to the ballpark at whatever it was, game time. And uh, by the time I get there, they're in about the third inning. Well, the game goes one of them. It's one of them 19 to 18 games. I'm just exaggerating, but it was a long game. It <laughs> right. was a high score. And so finally, the game's over with about 1030. So the game's over four hours long, the first game. So I go down to warm up, and the first baseman for us, a guy by the name of Lee May, was a really good buddy. He had stepped on my foot in winter ball, and so I had this problem with my big toe, and it got worse and worse and worse, so it became an ingrown toenail. So I go down to warm up, and I can't put my shoe on. My shoe hurts. So I put, This I put is the day of? This is, this is 20 minutes before the game. Oh, my gosh. Wow, so I'm I trying to, I'm that. trying to warm up. I can't throw on my foot. So I run up to the locker room. It's in Philadelphia, and the, the uh, trainer uh, shoots me full of Novocaine. And so, okay, Phil, so I go down, I start warming up. When I get down, the umpires are on the field exchanging lineup cards. So how much time do I have now? So I, in those days, the warm-up mounds for the starting pitcher were in front of the dugouts. You, you don't remember that you're too young, but if you look at the old World Series movies, in Yankee Stadium, for instance, the pitchers warmed up, the visiting pitcher over here and the Yankee pitcher over here side-by-side side warming up. Right. And so – Dodger Stadium, you weren't right in front of the dugout. Right in front and of And Philadelphia, right in front of the dugout. And then the bullpen, of course, were down the way. So I go out, and the umpires are out. So I grabbed a catcher, and I threw 10 pitches about as fast as I could throw them. Just like that. Bam, bam, bam. So the other team takes the field. I got to get off the mound. And so the game starts, and the only thing in my mind was don't hurt your arm. That's the one thing. So I heard I heard in a previous conversation that you told the taxi driver that told you the were taxi gonna... I, was, I, I was just kidding. I said, I'm going to pitch you no hit. He said, he asked me what I was doing. I said, I'm going to – I'm going to uh, – I'm gonna. I'm pitching today, and I'm gonna pitch a no hitter. I you just told him I, that. Just I, I just, and just I never even thought about it till the next day. I think, you know what? I think I told that taxi driver to go pitch a no hitter. So I mean, it, well, I, if you never pitched one before, you know, uh, how do you even act? I don't know how to act. <laughs> right. And so the game starts, and so I get through the first inning, no problem. Second inning, Richie Allen, who was a great Philadelphia uh, icon. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, later a good friend of mine. And anyway, so he hits a ground ball to Tony Perez, our third baseman. Tony was not a good third baseman. It was like <laughs> rock hands, you know. And so great guy, great first baseman, but for some reason he just couldn't play third. Our shortstop was Woody Woodward. So the ball hits Tony in the chest, bounces over to Woody. Woody picks up and throws it in the stands at first base. <laughs> so Richie's on second base. Ground ball to second, fly ball to right field. I, I won nothing. We're losing. And so I just assumed it was a hit because Richie Allen in Philadelphia. Well, and about the third thing, I look on the scoreboard and they don't have a hit. And I go, oh, they got a hit. Richie Allen got a hit. So I kept looking up every inning. And, and in fact, at one time it was one nothing. I just said, well, one of them is there pitched a no hitter and lost. It just occurred to me. I, I hear you. And I so, thought I mean, about that too. My mind's going through all this crazy thoughts. Not in the majors though. <laughs> and so every inning I kept looking up, they didn't change it to a hit. And pretty soon it's about now it's about one o'clock in the morning. What whatever fans were left, three or four thousand in Philly, uh, late at night, they're all drunk. They come over behind our dugout and start rooting for me. Every yeah, come on, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> and so end up uh, I got through the uh, seventh inning, eighth inning, and the eighth inning. Richie Allen came up again, 
I got three balls, one strike on him. And I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to baby this. He's going to hit. He's going to hit. I threw a fastball. He hit a bullet at our second baseman right at him. Right. And so he's out. So that, that kind of got me through that. And then, uh, so ninth inning, no problem at all. And the last guy was a weird story too, because he was my manager in winter ball the year before cookie Rojas. I had played in Puerto Rico the year before he was my manager. And so he's the last hero of the game, and I, and he was a really good player. He wasn't a great hitter, but he's a, he one of the contact guys, you know. Oh, yeah, I always put the bat on the ball. I said, Cookie, don't mess this up, please. Please don't mess up, Cookie. <laughs> he's up there, and he's kind of got a little grin on his face. He said, I'm going to do it. And he had a pop up to first base. Yeah, pretty high. I could have caught it at the peak. I, I would jump so high, I could have caught it. Wow. And first base, we caught <laughs> yes. it. I mean, I, I didn't know how to act. lift up a truck you, at this point. If you never point. pitch no hitter, how do you even act? You right. Know? So, uh, Anyway, it was it was a great thrill. It was when the good Lord said, "Hey, this is your day. Don't screw it up." That's basically basically what happened. And so uh, it was. Uh, people ask me all the time, "Was that your greatest memory?" I said, "No." What's your greatest memory? My greatest memory is walking in that major league locker room every day and seeing my name on that locker Man. for nine years. That that's the greatest memory ever. Absolutely. That I don't even know how to really what to say after that regarding a no hitter. You know, being drafted, in the, or you weren't even drafted. You uh, were handpicked to go to the major yeah, leagues. Yeah. And being able to play. How long did you play for the Yankees? I played in the minor leagues of the Yankees uh, only the one year, 1963, out of junior college. And who was on that team? Like, uh, Ooh, I know you faced I, I Mickey Mantle. Oh, well, you mean the big league club? I was in the minor leagues. I never actually got to the major leagues with the Yankees. I was in the minor, I, when you When you get signed, you go to the minor leagues. Right, like first, rookie okay. ball. And so I was in kind of a rookie league. And coming out of junior college at Bakersfield College, we had a very tough conference called the Metropolitan Conference. I mean, mm -hmm. there was oh, there were some good players in that league. In fact, I, I advanced two, three leagues my first year because the league Metropolitan Conference was tougher than the leagues I was playing in as, as pro. Gotcha. And a lot of those guys in that league were guys I played against in college. And so uh, the uh, we went through that my first year. And so uh, the next year I got drafted by, I was hurt. I wanted to go, I wanted to be around the Yankee guys, you know? Absolutely. And so I got drafted by Cleveland and what they call a first year player draft. They don't have that anymore. And so I got drafted from our triple A roster to the major league roster, which was a huge break because now I got to go to spring training with the Indians. And that's major league camp. To the big show. major league camp. So I was in spring training, 64, 65, 66, and then got the major leagues in 66. And 67 with the Indians. So uh, it was a big break getting, you know, getting traded, getting drafted by the Indians. And uh, it so, was weird. That was called first year player draft. Nobody's ever heard of that since then. But that after one year, if they didn't protect a certain roster, they could, uh, another club could, could take it. And the Yankees were always losing guys because they always had good players in the minor leagues. Everyone so, wanted so, to play with them. And yeah. Well, what happened with the Yankees in those and... days, they didn't have as many teams, right? Right. It was only, uh, when I signed, there was only 10 teams in each league. And so, uh, in fact, it might have been just eight teams each league. I can't remember. But but there was, like you had a, the Dodgers, for instance, they had the same team for 10 years straight. Yeah. So if you're in the minor leagues, you got backed up. You never got <laughs> to go. So now. Limited spots. Free, it, makes you, it makes you that much better. Well, the free agents now, I mean, you can go anywhere you want. They can only hold you for so long, and then you go wherever you want. But in those days, you were stuck with that team. So you sit in the minor leagues for four, five, six, seven. Maury Willis spent nine years in the Dodger organization. And you were with the Reds when you pitched the no hitter, right? Yeah, the, and then I got I got uh, traded from Cleveland to the Reds. Hold on, and then I heard you got traded like in the middle of a game. Is that true? No, uh, <laughs> it was it was before uh, before a game. Uh, I'm with uh, I'm with the uh, Dodgers. Love the team. Love being there. I mean, it's just I mean, just just my dream play for the Dodgers. And so we. Um, we go, I go out to the ballpark one day, and uh, Walter Olson calls me, and I'm always out there like 12. I went to the ballpark 12 o'clock every day. I mean, I, I wouldn't put that uniform on so nobody else got it. You know? <laughs> I want to get my uniform so somebody else come and got it. Well, oh, anyway, yeah. Walter Olson called me, and great man. Walter, love Walter. He said, I got some terrible news. What's that? He said, you've been traded. I'm like, what? Oh, not again. Yeah, I said, we trade you to Philly. Oh, no. And I said, Philly? Are we playing in tomorrow? He goes, Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no. So I go in and pack my bag. The guys on the team are coming. Oh, man. Oh, God. And uh, Austin didn't want to trade me, but Al Campanis was looking for an infielder or some other. So anyway, so I take my bags out of the Dodger locker room, 
and move more to the Philly locker room. <laughs> I just walk right down the hall. How there. crazy yeah. is that? Yes. And so <laughs> I was there for. How were you feeling during that moment? Uh, man? That's got to be crazy. I was just heartbroken. You, you say you know? bye to everybody, or you kind of. Just... Well, I come out. I'm on the Dodger team. I come out next. I'm on the Philly team. I come out in a Philly uniform, looking at all my buddies from the Dodgers. They're all coming up, man. What would what they trade you for? You know, and, I mean, I wouldn't. I wasn't anything special with the, with the Dodger, but a good relationship. I get on the bus and play Merle Haggard every day. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Buck Owens, and they, they had Nobody never done that. They had never done that before. They don't know about and that. And they loved Baker it. They loved sound. The bus was rocking every time. <laughs> even even uh, even some of the black guys were, were were doing the country music thing, you know. Yes. And so, right. Uh, yes. Willie Crawford and and uh, Willie Davis, and they were doing the doing the uh, country music thing. So uh, I was a popular guy. I mean, I did okay. I. I Pitched good for him, but uh, anyway, they decided they need somebody else, so off I went again. So, <laughs> and, and I didn't pitch in that series. Uh, I guess that was a deal they made. You can't pitch him against us. Okay. So, oh, wow. I heard, um, so there's a time difference, right? Time zone difference, so you got paid for that time well, travel? Well, what, they, uh, they had a zone, so if you were in the uh, the West Coast zone and you got traded to the East Coast, it was $1,200 travel expense. So I went from the Dodger to the <laughs> And they gave me a check for twelve hundred bucks. <laughs> so, oh, easy money uh, right there. Yeah. I mean, uh, it was so. And then on top of everything else, the Dodgers uh, finished second. Okay, so they got a World Series share, even though you don't win win the World Series. They have they have a uh, first, second, third, fourth place teams. I think share, and so the Dodgers got second place money. Guess what the share was. Twelve hundred bucks. Oh wow! They voted me a full share, even though I wasn't there the whole year. So uh, that's awesome. Yeah, so it was uh, it was wild. So it didn't take me long to spend it though. I I had spent pretty fast. So so you went to the Phillies, and then you must have been traded right after that again to the Reds. I played two years for the Phillies. No, I, I went from the Phillies to the um, uh, Phillies. I got released from the Phillies. Okay. That was my last team. Oh, and you then, weren't happy to be there. You left the Dodgers. <laughs> well, I, I lived the Dodgers music. and went to. I mean, uh, I got. I was. I went from Cleveland to the Reds to the Cardinals to the uh, Astros to the Dodgers to the Phillies, and then I went to Japan in '75. I played. Uh, I, I, I signed with uh, the Phillies AAA team in 1974. I got, I got sent down. I got released in '74. The big club. So I was a free agent. And so they had to pay my salary for the whole year, even though even though I was released. And so I looked around for a team, and I, so they had a Triple uh, uh, A team in Toledo. And so Dallas Green, who was the uh, farm director for the Phillies, said, "Would you be interested in pitching our Triple A club?" And I said, "Yeah, you're going to have to pay me another salary." So yeah, we'll do it. So I had right. I got a major league salary plus a minor league salary. <laughs> wow, you knew how to work it. And so I. I <laughs> I had spent pretty much before I got there. So anyway, <laughs> so I went there. I did really good in 74th, the last part of the season. Jim Bunning was our manager. He loved me. I did great. I finally went from the bullpen to starting. That's what I always wanted to do was start. And so I thought, sure, I'd get called up in the end of the year because Paul Owens, who was the general manager at the club, told me, you do good in Toledo, we'll call you back up. But he didn't call me back up. So uh, anyway, they might as well have. They wouldn't have to pay me. They'd already paid me. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, so the next year I started with Toledo again, and then uh, I was doing. I started off good, and then I just, I just, I don't know, I just got, I was getting bad karma. I don't know, I just couldn't do anything right, and so they sent me to, uh, oh, they, they, uh, the guy from Japan who I had played with in Cleveland organization was a scout for Japan. And he said, would you be interested in going to Japan? I said, heck yeah, I'll go. So, so why do you want to go there? I mean, just yeah, well, the experience alone, money, travel and money. money. Okay, gotcha. So I, got, I was making. Major League money again. Right. And so I didn't think I was ever going to go back to Major League. So I said, heck, yeah, I'll go. So I thought I signed a two-year contract. Turns out I signed a one-year contract. So they released me after one year and didn't pay me for the second year. I tried to get the money. They said, uh, "We, you signed two one-year contracts, which they tricked me. I didn't know that. I signed a two-year contract. So, wow. So you were Mr. Baseball for Tom oh, Selleck, right? So, so I went. Uh, <laughs> I went. I tried to get the commissioner of baseball to help me, and he said, yeah, we can – we can probably help you. You got to go to Japan and go through the courts over there, but you'll probably cost you more than to get your money. So wow, what was it like playing over there, free. man? Did you, it, you oh, learn a new language? Did great, you have a translator? Great, greatest place ever. I recommend that place for anybody. Where, where was it exactly? I was in. Uh, I was based in Tokyo. Wow. Japanese. Uh, I got to do an interview like this with Sadaro. I still have the tape. I got a picture of it. Uh, 
Well, this is more, you know, this is bigger than that. Right oh, here. well. This is the well, final what drives you podcast. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> but I had a great, great conversation with him. And I didn't pitch against him. He was in the other league. There was two leagues in Japan. He was in, like, the Pacific League, and I was in the Central League or whatever. And so that was a great experience. I loved over there, but I just didn't do well. The Japanese umpires have a real high strike zone. I was a low ball pitcher. Mm -hmm. I relied on ground balls. Right. And I had to bring the ball up, and those little guys, uh, they could hit. Yeah. I was going to ask what the competition was like. Uh, it was really good. They didn't have as many good players as they do now. Right. But they had, uh, it's more like AAA baseball. I'd right. Say. Gotcha. But the slowest games ever. <laughs> I mean, they get two guys on base. You had two pickoffs at first, two pickoffs at second, before you even threw a ball to home plate. I mean, it was just. It, you play nine innings. I don't care what the score was. It's going to take you three hours. It could be one A lot of discipline hours. over there, yeah. And the funny part was they televised all the games on TV. And so they would start at 7. At 10 o'clock, it could be basically loaded, three and two, two out. 10 o'clock, boom, game's over. They go to the news. <laughs> yeah. People go, what happened? What happened to the game? I mean, right. they, they, everything they do is right on time. You They're... go to a train station. <laughs> That train leaves at 7.59, it leaves at 7.59, not 7.58. A lot of discipline, oh, I'm sure, God. right? And the kids, you know, the the whole society is just very uh, subservient. You know, they, it's just amazing culture. I wish we were like that, really. I mean, there's just so many, uh, so many great uh, things about Japan. Uh, the one thing, they don't have any guns. That's one thing. Right. Uh, the only guns are in, in uh, shooting ranges. That's different than growing up in Oildale. Uh, yeah, sure. Oildale. You know, everybody, everybody had a gun. Everybody <laughs> had a gun or a knife, yeah. Or brass knuckles. Right. Yeah, I had brass <laughs> knuckles. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of everything. So uh, anyway, Japan was great. Uh, and so then when I after Japan, I, I didn't get to go back. And so I tried getting a job with a couple other teams. Nothing worked out. So I said, you know what? Uh, I pretty much realized I was at the end of my career. Mm-hmm. And so I just said, well, I'm going to try something different. So I tried a couple of things around here. didn't work. And then uh, luckily I met my wife. Rosie. Rosie. We've been married 45 years, uh, April 16th. I better, better not forget that day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, She's an amazing so, woman. I got know, a yeah, chance 40, to meet her and travel with you guys. I don't, I don't know how to put up with her for 45 years, but I have. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so. Your trophy husband. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway uh, – Met her. That was a big break coming back to Japan because I was able to meet her. And uh, we got married. And then uh, a good buddy of mine that played with at Toledo ended up being a uh, manager in their Phillies organization, Ron Clark, who, by the way, started his baseball career in Bakersfield. Right. And so uh, back in the 60s, early 60s. So he called me up and said, do you want to be my pitching coach in Reading in Pennsylvania, double A? I said, heck yeah. So I started there. I ended up working 20 years for the Phillies. That job turned into a 20 year job. 20 years? 20 years. Pitching coach? Yep. And manager. I managed two years of AAA and, and two years of AA. And I was a roving pitching coach. I was pitching coordinator. I did, I did every job you can do in, in my position. Yes. The one thing I love was managing. Uh, but um, anyway, as a pitcher, they don't really have a lot of confidence in you as a manager. You know, if you're an ex pitcher, if you're an infielder, catcher, somebody yells and screams, yeah. But not a pitcher, not so much. So, any, I mean, look how many major league managers are in big leagues that were pitchers. Right. Uh, Tom Lasorda comes to mind. Uh, I'm sure you had to hang out with him a little bit, too. Oh, yeah. So, You're a pitching yeah. coach for the Dodgers as well. So, yeah. So, after I got fired by the, by the Phillies, sat around here for a couple, that's when I started doing pitching lessons. I had, I had to find a way to make a little money. So, I started doing pitching lessons, and I actually started uh, setting up golf tournaments for people. I called it Golf Tournaments by George. And did good at that. And then... The same buddy, Ronnie Clark, is sitting in the stands in Omaha, Nebraska, with a with a uh, uh, Dodger farm director. Name was uh, I can't remember Tom. Uh, I can't remember his name. Anyway, uh, he says, uh, you know, we we had our we had to fire our pitching coach down in Vero Beach because he got two drunk driving tickets. And I said, I'm kind of looking for a guy. You know anybody? And he goes, Yeah. So he recommended me. So the guy, the guy called me. The guy called me. We have a lot in common, also so far besides the major leagues. Ten years. <laughs> Ten years. Well, it wasn't me that got drunk driving. It was the guy down there got drunk driving. I, I don't know how I ever survived drunk driving. I mean, I was a few times and uh, avoided it. Oh, oh man. Right. So, yeah, uh, definitely. Right. Anyway, so, uh, anyway, so that job lasted 10 years with the Dodgers. And uh, so somebody's drunk driving paid off for me. There you go. <laughs> and so I had 10 years with the Dodgers. And then uh, in 2010, I retired and I wanted to stay home. And uh, 
I couldn't miss some of these golf terms, some of these noon games. You know, I had to play golf. Well, that's so. how we met, the noon game at Kern yeah, yeah, River. Yeah. I mean, we had amazing yeah, you're times. An, you're an animal. I'll never forget that time you drove the green on number uh, 13. 13. Was guy, that me, you, and Foss? Yeah, and the playing? guy wanted to fight you? <laughs> yeah, so I know that's a funny story. So we're, we're playing. We played the noon game. I worked out there for six years. A lot of great memories. Obviously built some great relationships, one with you, some unforgettable moments. But, yeah, we're playing – with me, you, Jim Foss, and somebody else. And, yeah. And there's some guys in the green. It's about 340 yard carry. At least. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's why this is, you know, part of the called the long drive. You know, it's, yeah. a, it's the finding what drives you. It's about long yeah, drives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's what I'm known for. But Jim Foss says, go ahead and hit, son. I'll yell four. And so <laughs> there's four guys in the group. And I said, all right, here we go. So I just pipe one and it never left a flag stick and it lands right by the pen. And the guy's getting and ready to putt. Everyone yelled for but Jim Foss because yeah. <laughs> he was amazed. <laughs> the guy's getting ready to putt. And he's a big old guy. And he told everybody at Rio Bravo that he played pro baseball. He never played pro baseball. I looked up his name, never played pro But anyway, he's telling about how he played pro baseball. Remember, I'll never forget. He says, I have a Corvette, a family, and a wife. I was like, in that order? <laughs> and so <laughs> this guy has a purple ponytail oh, he and he's is, trying to, uh, you yeah. know, attack me. And I was like, but anyway, he, he just, he's, he's, but he landed right by where he was putting and it made a divot right by where he putting. It was funnier than heck. So, uh, well, you, I, I, I can tell some amazing stories about you, buddy, playing golf. So, man, I appreciate um, it, George. We had some great times. I have to I have to tell uh, a story about we traveled to the Save Mart shootout, me, you, and your wife, and we brought a, a box of brand new baseballs, and a lot of celebrities were there, and professional golfers, men and women, and Lee Trevino was there, and you were like, "Hey, Yates, go down there and get a freaking signed baseball from Lee Trevino." <laughs> I was like, "Okay," so I ran down there and I got the perfect position. He just got done hitting, and no one was around for some reason, and he walks right by. I was like, "Hey, hey, Lee." I have a brand new baseball here. It's from George Culver. He pitched a no hitter in the big leagues in 68. <laughs> Can you sign this for me? And he walks over and he grabs the ball and he looks at it, examines it. He's like, well, shoot, it looks like nobody hit this ball. <laughs> and then he starts to tell me a story. And I've never been starstruck in my life. And I was. My ears were ringing. He's telling me a story. It must have been a three-minute story. I had the chills. There's people surrounding me. The crowd's building around me during the story. And everyone starts laughing, and I just start laughing too. And I said, "Thank you, Lee." And I walk off with a signed baseball by Lee Trevino. I run to give it to you, and you're like, "Dude, Mike, that was awesome." What did he say? I was like, "I have no idea." Well, you you don't remember this, but I was back up by the tee, and and uh, Lee said, "Well, where's George?" He says, "He's up here." And he says, "Hi, George." Oh yeah, there you yeah, go. See, I told up, you I blocked he, out. He I would never be starstruck. He waved at me. <laughs> Uh, he was one of my favorite guys, Lee Trevino. One of my favorite guys. He was with George. Uh, who was that comedian? There was George comedian. Lopez. Yeah. Oh, the guy. They were funny. Yes, yeah. I know. I you know at the time I, I was, miss that term. That was a great term. It the, sure the was. Save March shootout. Yeah. We had a great time. I've had John great... Daly was there. Remember John, John Daly? Daly? Yeah. There was a. It was Peter a... Jacobson. Pe yep, Peter uh, Jacobson. Uh, amazing. Uh, I could go down the list. Even the female golfers, the best in the world. Um, Natalie Golbus was there. She was, yeah. Natalie Gobus was there. We got some pictures. I don't. I need to find those pictures. I know. I, know. I have them in a stash somewhere. My wife. I followed saw her me around. I, I didn't want to follow. I followed Natalie around. I didn't. I wanted to see how she played. I don't want. To, I don't want to follow John Daly around. No. <laughs> get some uh, some hints of alcohol and cigarettes. I I'm forgot sure. Natalie Gobus was there. That's right. Wow. Ooh. John Daly has one of the best quotes. I don't work out because you can't pull fat. <laughs> you can only pull muscle. But yeah, uh, I wanted to touch about something that I was laughing about, thinking about this podcast, about back to baseball. When I played, um, you know, baseball my whole life and then golf, I had some superstitions, you know. I remember one day I was, before the game, I ran out of uh, bars of soap. And so I had shampoo only. It was like my mom's shampoo. And so I washed my hair with it, washed my whole body. And it was just the first time I've ever done that, which is shampoo only. And then I go to the field and I hit, I went five for five and I had like some like nine strikeouts. And I still this day, like you shan't, when I use all shampoo, I'm like, I'm going to have a good day. It's weird thing about athletes and especially baseball players. Which, yeah. which yours? I know you have one. Well, I'll tell you what I did for every, every time I, for every pitch, I, I prayed. Every Man, pitch I prayed. That is a, I love that. I don't even remember what so I prayed much. by is, you know, thank you. I think I just prayed. Thank you for being here. Help me, help me survive. Help me survive Willie McCovey. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> well, I said a little prayer before every pitch. Yeah. You know, that's so big. Uh, that's part of this podcast is my five pillars that have made me become the best version of myself. And I'm still growing. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm always just getting started. Yeah. You know, it's about, you know, physical fitness. I know that's crucial to you. It's mental awareness, mental strength, mental toughness. It's emotional stability. How do you control your emotions when you're facing Mickey Mantle? <laughs> you know, no. it's uh, spiritual. I mean, I think yeah. spiritual growth is really important in your life. And then financial education, just that's just a big piece of my life, especially recently when you start making some money. It's obviously very important, correct? Yeah, well, you know, I grew up in, I grew up in a very poor family. We didn't have, everybody had the same house. Well, we were, I grew up in Delano and everybody was poor. I mean, the only way you knew somebody had money was if they drove a bigger car than you. You know, Cadillac, if anybody drove a Cadillac, you know they had money. Right. Everybody else drove old Fords and you can make, they made noise going down the street, you know, and tires are flat and whatever. But anyway, so I, I grew up in a poor family, but one thing was rich in our life was uh, we spent a lot of time in church. And so uh, I'm not a super religious person, but I, and I have big faith in, in God and all that. But uh, the thing that's important in your life is, you know, there's an answer. I know there's an answer. And so what I try to do is I try to live my life correctly. Uh, I mean, I went through some rough times. I mean, when I got back in Japan, I always tell people, you know, when you look at a, uh, you put water in a sink and then you unplug it and it starts going down like this. That was me. That was me going down that sink right there. John, just like that. So I think a lot of people can relate to that, George. So you're not alone. So when I met Rosie, I mean, I was, I, I'd, I'd have been dead long time ago if I hadn't met her. So when I met her, she had three kids. So that kind of changed my direction a little bit. And then uh had three kids. And then, uh, so I started getting invested in baseball because her son, Jeff Gutierrez, was a baseball player at Highland. So uh, that's where you went, right? Uh, yeah, alum- alumni you're, Highland. You're one yes. of the all-timers at Highland, yeah. So, <laughs> off the field. Off the field, yeah. yeah. So, so anyway, Thank you, uh, I had, uh, she had two daughters and a son, and so I got involved in their life with well, that. That sort of curtailed my bars, my bars, <laughs> even though I still did it. I mean, I was able, at least it, 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 I didn't just do it overnight. It took a graduate decline. So, uh, and uh, I used to smoke. Uh, I smoked two packs a day for probably 10 years. And so uh, uh, when I met her, she had went through a divorce. She had never smoked and she had started smoking. So her and I were smoking. Right. And her kids started poking holes in our cigarettes. So we'd light a cigarette. <laughs> Heck's wrong with a cigarette. <laughs> and then they would dip our matches in water. And we, what the heck? Oh, no. So I thought, well, you know, it's that important to them, so I'm going to quit. So I quit smoking 40, 45 years ago. Wow. And so in, 19, in 2001, I was working for the Dodgers. And so uh, at the end of the season, uh, we went, to, we took uh, 14 of us, went on a trip to Scotland in September 2001. So on September 11, 2001, we were playing golf at Mirrorfield, and we got back to the hotel, and somebody said, look at that stupid guy ran into the building in New York. <laughs> building on fire. So we're sitting there drinking. Another guy did it. We didn't realize. They was, they was bombing the, the, the Twin Towers. Really? Yeah, we just got through playing golf in Scotland. And so, wow. uh, so we're watching this on television. Oh, my God, we're leaving the next day, come home. The guy said, you ain't going home. No, you're not. No plane's getting in the air. So we had to sit there for another seven days. And we had a great time. We played uh, St. Andrews and Mirrorfield and all these great courses, British Open courses. Exactly. And so when we we sat there for seven more days, we had to stay for seven more days until they let us go home. And so all we did was sit in the bar and drink. And we went and played golf a couple other times. But, you know, we got to a point where – I got home and I said, you know what? I'm going to take a week off from drinking. <laughs> right. I'm going to let my liver have a rest. Well, next thing I know, I'm getting <laughs> money in my pocket. Uh, I'm not worried about driving home, looking in the mirror for cops. I said, I like this. I'm not going to drink anymore for a while. Right. And that was 20, 21 years ago. You haven't drank or? Nope. I'm drinking nothing. Not wine, not nothing. People always say, well, let's have a little champagne for New Year's. No, I'm not drinking nothing. Wow. Nothing. I did not know that about yeah, you, George. That's yeah. a, that is so amazing. The greatest, Congratulations on that. Oh, yeah. No kidding. I wasn't an alcoholic. Right. But it was a habit. It's more of a habit. We're going to drink, but we go play golf. We have two or three beers at the golf course, arguing over who did this and who did that, pay the money. Right. And then we go to the Pyrenees, and we'd have three or four more, and I'd drive home, look in the mirror, 
for cops. Oh my God! Oh, well, you know, I mean, right. I, no way I could pass a test. <laughs> right. Even if I could walk straight there, you're not going to pass a breath. Yes. So anyway, I said I just got tired of doing that. So I'm not going to drink anymore. And uh, I didn't know how long I could do it, but it was easy. I just quit, just like I quit smoking. I quit smoking by uh, I had a pack of cigarettes by my bed, and I said I'm going to see if I can go a day without smoking. I did. Couple three days. I don't know if you ever sm- smelled a pack of cigarettes. Oh yeah. Well, my mom used days. to hotbox the car and cracked my window like this. So well, I was going to school with cigarette smoke going through the window. Well, I don't know <laughs> if you ever smelled a pack of stale cigarettes after sitting there for three. I smelled a pack of cigarettes. Oh my god! And so I said, "Ah, so I'm not gonna smoke anymore." And I just quit smoking that fast. But man. it took me three. I took me three times to quit. That's so, that mental toughness right there. Oh man, I had to do it. But I knew I had to do it. It was no no. Uh, and I looked in the mirror one day and I was about. I just quit playing. I was about uh, 1980, 81, something like that, 81, 82. And I looked in the mirror one day with no clothes on. Is this, this is a, this is right, a R-rated? No, you're I fine. No, no, don't no worry. clothes on. <laughs> Larry Cook was rapping last I time. Looked in, <laughs> I looked in the mirror and I said, oh my God, 225 pounds. And I said, that ain't happening. Right. So that day I started walking. And within about a couple weeks, I started jogging, and I lost I lost thirty pounds in about six months, and that because I just totally changed my diet, quit quit eating fats, quit eating uh, sugar, salt, uh, everything. If I if I go to the grocery store and you follow me around, you start laughing. Everything's right. low sugar, this low low fat, that no right. sugar. So you change and your diet. Totally changed my diet. Exercising yeah. makes you do that. I swear, you start exercising, and all of a sudden you have to kind of if you want to exercise. Have more energy exercising, you have to start eating healthy. You're well, that's what John did. I mean, you can't exercise fat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I know. So, so anyway, going to prove us all wrong. So man. anyway, so I, I I am proud of the way I've been able to maintain. I still cheat a little bit now. I cheat more. I, I eat a little more sweets and stuff like that. Well, but, you gotta have enjoy your quality but, uh, of life. But I sure. uh, I have a little ice cream every night or a piece of pie or something. I, I just it's just I, I gotta have it doing. Sounds that, like so. you cheat a lot there. The George. thing I'd be, the thing I'd be careful about now is sugar diabetes because it's easy right. to get sugar diabetes. So my wife has sugar diabetes and I do not want to go through what she goes through. Right. She takes pills, takes shots every day. I said, I don't want to go through that. So I gotta be careful. So I always have my blood tested to make sure I'm not close to that. So anyway, this like I said, it's discipline. It's all discipline. Discipline is yeah. definitely the key. You can't be successful without discipline. Or are you a good golfer? Because you go to the range and you practice, 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 practice. Exactly. You have pride in what you're you won't go out there and just say, Oh, hey, I had a good time today. No, no. Right. I'm the same way. I get mad. I get mad playing golf. Oh mad. man, that's emotional stability. It took me a long time to learn. You know, I don't want to tell my stories it's about you, but uh, the way I work on my emotional stability, what's why it's one of my pillars, is because in college I was so embarrassed the way I acted when I was playing bad. You could see a mile away if Mike Gates is playing good or bad. <laughs> yeah, me too. And then nowadays, mm-hmm. I just I don't act that way. I have yeah. my poker face. I am a duck on water whenever I'm playing good or bad, and that's the way you have to be, right? Well, I play with guys that don't show any emotion, good shot, bad shot, and I say, you know what? I admire that. I wish I could do that. I can't do it. I cannot do it. <laughs> right. right. Well, you. I almost I almost snapped one day because we played in the uh, men's club championship against each other. Um, at Kern River, Kern River, yeah, or it might have been the uh, the semis. I'm not sure. Yeah. It might have been the championship, but I didn't make a dang birdie all day, and I was like in my prime, and we tied and went into a playoff, and you beat me in the playoff. I, I hit, did. I, yeah, uh-huh. I hit the ball. It was a playoff, and I hit my set. You like your ball in the trees. I hit it in the tree right. And we one, couldn't find one, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I, it would if it was anybody else, I probably would have just acted a fool. But since it was you, I just had pure yeah. respect for you, and I was very humble in that loss and defeat. So I lost to Pitts. The next year in the same deal. Yeah. Same hole, playoff, and last hole. How did I retire? Well, Matt, dude, so at my time, I was a really good golfer during that really time. Good. Shooting 62, 63, 64, 65. I don't, know how, I don't know how. I just. And you took me to the, the playoff hole and beat me. And then you took Justin Pitts, who shot 57 out there, yeah. to a playoff. And he got to do well, the best. Well, you know, I, I won the. I think the year I played you, I won the championship. I beat a. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but I won. They had to play 36 holes for why I have no idea why they played 36 holes, but right. I, I beat the guy. And so that was my one championship. At, uh, <laughs> I know. Just, and this is like 15 years ago. So oh, a long time ago. Yeah. That's when I could play. I can't play now. Well, I wanted to touch on, so you've been very successful. You're from Kern County, Bakersfield. Why did you choose to live here? What do you love about Bakersfield? Well, I grew up in Delano. And Delano, uh, I, I, I grew up with my, I didn't have a dad. So I grew up with my aunt and uncle. My, I had, my mom was there, but she had my younger daughter and my younger daughter, my younger sister. 
and she couldn't afford to keep both of us. And so I lived right up the street with my aunt and uncle, and they were churchgoers. And so uh, I loved both of them. My mom ended up moving to Bakersfield, worked for Mayfair Markets when they opened up. And so I didn't get to see my mom anymore. And so my aunt and uncle split up, and they want one of them, they wanted me to go each one of them. You want to go with me? I can't, I can't make this decision. Wouldn't mm -hmm. be, I would never feel good. So I called my mom. I said, Mom, mind if I come live with you? And she said, no. So that's why I moved to Oildale, went to Standard, started going to Standard. But in, in Delano, I was a really good student. I was straight A's, everything. I was straight A's, but I wasn't a very good athlete. And for some reason, when I moved from Delano to Bay, I become a good athlete. Right. And the grades went... Like <laughs> so I become I wasn't a great athlete but I become a good athlete so I got really involved in sports I, I say you were great man well you football, basketball, 20 teams. every sport I played every sport I could play I love sports and so as a result my grades went like that and so uh, so that's how you know I end up in uh, in, uh, in Bakersfield and uh, so after I I always loved oil in fact on some of my baseball cards it says what my resident my uh, hometown is Oildale <laughs> That's amazing. So I said Oildale because I wanted to recognize Oildale, you know? Yes. It always says in the back of your car, where are you from? And I said Oildale. So I always say I got adopted to the Dale Dome in 2005 by Larry Cook. The old eater. United you know? me in. The, the old eater, you know? <laughs> so anyway, I had had a lot of fun uh, growing up out there. And so I, uh, when I got through playing baseball, I uh, I started having these celebrity golf tournaments. I love golf. And it wasn't, we're just having guys come in that I played with at golf tournaments. So I met a guy named Lloyd Plank. I don't know if you know Lloyd. I, I'm not sure. Okay, Lloyd was a realtor here in town, and he said, you know what? Uh, why don't you raise money from these golf tournaments and give the money to baseball? That's a good idea. So I, that's when I started raising money for baseball. First first money we offered was to Cal State for baseball, and they turned me down. Yeah, so, your name's on the field here in town, right? My name's, on the, my name's on the toilet at Bakersfield College. Right? <laughs> the no, that's mine. It's, on the, it's on the locker room. It's, a, it's a, my club that says George Cover Clubhouse, but I really should say Light Brigade Clubhouse because that, that's where raising money from was the uh, was my found a nonprofit organization, Light Brigade, which is where we raised my. In fact, my golf term is coming up April 14th. I'm playing in that. Yeah, I'm playing with Harvey Barmia and, oh, and, and his oh, wife. You know, he always tries to get the best guys yeah. to try to win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, that, so uh, I've always enjoyed that, giving money. And, and the more I did it, the more I enjoyed it, the more, the more I got hooked on it. You know, it's just become, and, then, and so, I mean, I've been, the last month, I've been going out gathering up prizes and stuff for the golf tournament and getting people in the tournament. And, and so it's really a three-man show, me and Javier and Terry Graff, Roger Gunning's daughter. Right. That's the three of us. And we put the whole tournament together ourselves and said Bakersfield Country Club. And I just really enjoyed it. I got well, Tommy Ru John's there. Billy yeah, Russell. Tommy John can't make it. He's Tommy John, not in good health. Right. He, uh, he had, so he had a, some kind of a brain aneurysm and he's, he's, he has to walk with a walker now. I mean, I feel terrible for that. The worst part about that is he should be in the hall of fame and well, his arms are right. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, his elbow. Yeah, <laughs> I tell him he's got more stitches than a baseball. He's had a lot. Of, he's had a lot of surgeries. But uh, anyway, so uh, Bill Russell's going to be here. Charlie Huff, Steve Yeager, Cody Kessler's going to play. Uh, Kobe Lewis was going to play, but he has to go out of town. And so we got some local major leaguers: uh, uh, Sean Barker, uh, Junior Kennedy. Junior, uh, I played, played a lot of golf Brent, with Junior. Brent Morrell. Uh, so it's it's a love it, love him too. Good, you know, great a, guy. We got, so it's it's a good day. Um, we have a lot of fun. We raise a little money. We raise about twenty grand a year, twenty twenty five, and we give it all the high schools, mm -hmm. scholarships for Bakersfield College, uh, baseball players moving on, and I just love it. I love it. I love well, it. George, we love you. You're always giving back. Still, uh, you'll always be that guy that gives back. And you do the hot stove dinners. You you do your fundraisers. You do everything to give back to the pitching to individual kids and to high schools. And we really appreciate you in this town. I mean, you've been, a, you had so many more stories to, to cover. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, th I'm honestly considering writing a book. You should. Yeah. I'm writing a book. Really? I mean, there's only 2% of the world's ever written a book. So that's, <laughs> you'd be another. I, I, the only thing is I'd have to go into hiding after I wrote the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think I might wait till my later days to write my book too. You know? <laughs> so I'd have, have to, to go into a, a, what they call that, that program, the, uh, where they where you get in trouble with the uh, cops and they, they, you, they, you'd be a witness and they send you a secret witness. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be, I'd be way over here somewhere. So. So I got to touch you. You got to hang out with Buck Owens. Did you Merle Haggard you know, and Buck, those guys? Uh, I met Merle. Uh, real, I used to bump the music 
Buck oh, Owens, yeah. uh, Dwight Yoko Streets of Bakersfield, and the and the yeah, and the one, bus, one, and the, one of the, the, uh, the one of the uh, big thrills of my life was was being around Buck. Uh, Buck was a tremendous guy. Did, he was the first two members at Seven Oak. Had two first two memberships, and he used to take us out there. I didn't know he played golf. Buck, yeah. Oh, he's a golf nut. Wow. And so, uh, he, there's some funny stories about Buck. I, I'll I'll just tell you one is uh, he would take his money and wad it up. He'd have pocketful money and wad it up and stick it down there where he put the golf balls. And so, uh, we played golf one day over at. Uh, he took us down to uh, Sherwood. Oh yeah. Beautiful. And so That's we where Wayne get, Gretzky plays down there. We get done playing, and they had a, had to send a four caddy with us, right? You have to have a four caddy. So we get on playing, and so Buck goes in his bag, and he's going like he's pulling out all his money like this, and he pulls out a fifty dollar bill. The kid says, uh, "Mr. Owens, I, I'm sorry, uh, uh, it's it's twenty dollars a bag." There's four. He says, twenty dollars a bag for carrying our putter?" <laughs> yes, sir. I'm sorry, it's on the it's on the pro shop. They tell you. So he goes in his bag like this, finds a hundred, hands the kid, and he said, "Now is that enough?" The kid's got one hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> the kid goes. Well, uh, Mr. Owens, could you could you ask for James the next time you come down here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean he was like that. He would he would do stuff. I there's Seven Oaks. He had a little concession down out there by Ming, the White Lane, White Lane, the little concession on the is it White Lane, on the way to Stockdale High School. There's I believe a, there's so. a corner out there, uh, Seven Oaks. Oh yeah, Seven, yeah, yeah. So Ming, so, yeah, I'm sorry, oh, Ming. Is it Ming? Ming. Well, anyway, so there's a little concession right in the corner by a restroom. As a, a little lady worked out there when we first opened, and he go out there every time we go, back, he give her fifty dollars. Every time we go fifty dollars, and so wow, he was an amazing guy. I had so much fun with him. I could tell you stories all day. About yeah, him. some of them I can't really tell on the. No, on the- I know, right? <laughs> well, another, I mean, uh, Vin Scully. So I know there's so many Bakersfield fans around here, and I got to see a video last night of Vin Scully talking, telling a story about you. You know, yeah, we, I had some that. good. Yeah, Scully was uh, was uh, we we struck up. A really good relationship when I was playing for the Reds. He didn't uh, like you too much because he used to shut down his Dodgers. Right? Yeah, no. <laughs> well, and so uh, he found out I was from Oildale. He'd be, you know, Scully would always find out about you. If you're on the other team, he'd find out One of those something unusual about you. Ever. He'd be talking about you. And he said, uh, he said, George Culver here pitching for the Reds. He said, uh, he's from Oildale. He said, uh, his nickname is the Earl of Oildale. <laughs> 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 and then the, the next year we're uh, we're playing in spring training, and that was the year when everybody had the long, long sideburns. I remember you're pretty young. Oh yeah, that. no, the, all the pitchers had. Yeah, I remember they, they call them mutton chops. Yeah, they come down to here. So uh, with the ball you, cap, if helmets. you cut, you'd have to be close. So anyway, yes, he said my he said this on the radio. My sideburns are so long, I look like I was in parentheses. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, funny story about it. he. I'll give you a real funny Ben Scully story. I mean, uh, Tommy the Sorter story. So uh, Jay Johnstone and Jerry Royce played for the Dodgers, and they were always going pranks. They'd light your foot on fire. You know, they'd do something in your locker, something always. So, you know how the little bad boy takes the balls up the umpire? Right. So they got a ball and wrote on there, Dear, the Frank, the home plate umpire's name was Frank, I think. So he said, Dear Frank, have a nice day. Signed Tommy Lasorda. Put in the ball. I said, little kid, he grabs it. He don't paint it. He grabs the ball, and the umpire takes and puts it in his pocket. So after the game, Tommy's walking out with his wife. She says, Tommy, you're not going to believe what happened today. He said, what happened? He said, the ball went right over my head. He said, yeah, I told you, you got to watch out. And ball, he said, no, no. The guy behind me caught it. Oh, yeah. He said, uh, the ball The ball said, dear Frank, have a nice day. Signed, Tommy Lasorda. I know. He said, Lasorda. He said, right. I mean, uh, Royster and Johnson, they're always pulling that crap. He goes, Tommy, you don't understand. The guy that caught it, his name was Frank. So here you are sitting in the stands. If the ball comes up and you catch it. Oh, wow. Dear Frank, have a nice day. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is incredible. <laughs> He's told that story twice on the radio, so I know it's a true story. But in, wow, in, 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 well about that, huh? That is. Dear Mike, have a nice day. Huh? What? <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> man. So uh, I know you just got you got to tell your what's your favorite story as a player, your funniest story as a player. I know you have uh, a million. God, I have to think about that. Uh, I played with a guy named Louis Tion in Cleveland, the funniest guy ever. Ever, ever, ever. I mean, he was Cuban, and he spoke broken English. And we had this guy named Leon Wagner on team. I was with Cleveland, and he had a he had a bucket head. Okay, about half bald, and he had a bucket head. Great guy, Leon Wagner. Call him Cheeky. Call him Cheeky Wagner. And so Louis would go and Leon, uh, Leon would be sitting in his locker like this, 
reading a paper or something, and Louie, uh, Louie would sneak up on him, get a stool, get up on my kiss, and drop drop his drawers and and then act like he was uh, going to bathroom on him, and then he'd flush him. <laughs> I mean, he... And, <laughs> Oh, what a God. move. Oh, my God. <laughs> he and, wins. And Louis, Louis did it in the clubhouse all day. There was a, uh, I mean, I, I got, I, it'd take me all day to tell you funny stories, but. Uh, no, that, I that, love it. That uh, you, we, this podcast can be four hours long with the stories you have, <laughs> and I can uh, sit here for, for longer than that listening uh, to them. It's funny. Like I said, I'm going to try to write a book, and I got to be careful whose names I name, but. Right. <laughs> what would the title be? Why me? The Earl of Oildale? Why me? Oh, why me? Why me? How did this happen to me? Man, you know, that's, that's just so fitting for the direction of this podcast is I'm trying to find out what drives you. And already, you know, it's hard. It's a hard answer. Yeah. Well, so, why all this stuff happened to me? I, I didn't. I was an ordinary guy everywhere I went. But, yeah, uh, finding your yeah. why in life is one of the most difficult challenges for anybody. Why am I put here? What's my purpose? And it sounds like you have figured that out. Maybe you don't know the direct answer, but you've had an amazing life. I know you've had tri trials and tribulations and adversity you've faced. But you've got to do what you love to do for a long period of time, and that's that's something that a lot of people don't get to do. Yeah, it's almost like my life was planned out ahead of time, because every step of the way, like every like I said, when I went from the Dodgers to the Phillies, I was totally, I mean, just heartbroken. I ended up working twenty years for the Phillies. If I got traded the Phillies, that would never happen. Wow. And then I got traded to the Dodgers from the Astros. And I loved the Astros. I didn't want to get traded, but I loved it. was okay. I'm going through the dog. Then it would be on a 10-year job. So every step of the way, when I got released from Japan, if I hadn't come back from Japan, I would never met Rosie. So it's like... Wow, everything happens for you. Yeah, everything's like a... There's like a roadmap out there, you know? So. I hear that, you know, I always hear... I listen to all the motivational stuff and books. I listen to a lot of books, and I'm always, you know, just trying to... Knowledge is key, you know? So if you look back in the past, it's depression. If you look forward, it's anxiety. And if you live in the moment, it's at peace. You're at peace. Yeah. So, you know, it seems like you have awesome, awesome either way, you know, but uh, I'm sure that's not well, the I got the a great truth. wife and she's got a great family. That's my, uh, her, her kids are terrific. And, uh, and they couldn't ask for better kids and their family. She had two daughters and a son. They married great people. They've had, they have eight grandkids and a great grandkid. And not one alcohol drugs pregnancy arrest anything nothing the whole family she raised those kids so great and uh and it's just it's just an amazing family and i'm just lucky to be a part of it well you are a good role model for sure what's the best advice you've ever received uh you ready for this one i am okay so i'm married to my first wife and we're uh i just started getting hooked on golf and we're playing in portland oregon and we just come back from a 10 or 12 day road trip and so uh so we get off the bus and we just, so we get off the bus and, you know, in those days, like not, not now the wives are out there in the cars waiting for them, waiting for everybody to get off the bus. And so, uh, so we get off the bus and one of my buddies uh, said, Hey, uh, I give my wife a hug and kiss. Hey, but Hey, uh, seven o'clock tomorrow. Yeah. We're going to play golf at seven in the morning. I've been gone for 12 days. Wow. She said, what's, what do you know? Seven o'clock in the morning. So we're going to go play golf. She says, you know, you've been gone for that long. You're going to play golf? I said, yeah. I mean, we'll be back by noon. She said, if you go play golf tomorrow, okay, when you get home, my bags will be packed to the airport. I'm leaving. I said, sure, sure. We play golf. I come back. Her bag, bags are on the doorstep. And she left. That was the last time I ever saw her. Wow. That fast. So I'm, I'm playing in this golf tournament down in uh, Minnesota. It's a celebrity tournament. And ESPN is broadcasting it. And so they asked, what was your... What's the uh, best advice you ever got in golf? And I told him the story. I said, so if uh, if you play golf, I'm leaving. I said, that's the best advice I ever got. I played <laughs> <laughs> and they played, on, they played on ESPN. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, uh, you know, uh, we have an hour here. And I want, you know, I don't, you said in a video that I, I watched about you that you don't want to be remembered for your no-hitter. You know, of course, some people will. But what do you want to be remembered by? You know, I, I know that give, I, I, will, I will remember you by just being a great person, always giving back and just enjoying life and being a great role model. Giving back, you know, being, giving back. I, I don't, I can count on one hand the number of people that, that I th consider maybe not, not necessarily enemies, but not friendly with the whole, the whole place. And uh, I always try to make friends with everybody. I try to say something every day to somebody and make them feel good. 
Right. You know, uh, tease them, whatever, tell a joke, whatever, make somebody laugh. And uh, I think the most important thing that I would like to remember for is just giving back, you know. And, like, there's been so many guys in this town that have played major sports, been uh, so-called celebrities, you know, that don't give anything back. Nothing. Right. Kobe Lewis, a good Kobe Lewis gives everything. Yeah, Kobe he's Lewis always gives at everything. every event. I see he gives him everything. And he, could and he, be, he could be on an island by himself. If I, I'm at a high school family. baseball game the other day. He's got no. He's got no. Uh, no kid in this uh, game. He's out there watching a high school baseball game. You know. Amazing. Like, oh, what are you doing? Well, you know. So, I mean, so that's. I mean, if you go to a high school football game, basketball or baseball game, I'll be at one of them. I, I just love going watching the kids play and being being part of, part of the community, being involved in the community, but. The key word for me is uh, giving back. Give back. Give well, back. Guys. We are honored to have you in this in this town in this county, and we are so proud of you and your accomplishments. and And thank you so much, George Culver. Appreciate you. My pleasure, Mike. And uh, uh, good luck to your team in the golf tournament. Uh, I looked at the Vegas odds, and you guys are favored. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, George. Love okay, you, man. Okay, bye.